Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast. I am your host, Tessa Zali. I have such a treat of an episode in store for you. I can already see the DMs and the shares coming in. I know this episode is going to be very thought-provoking. So I had Dr. Ben Johnson, founder of both Cosmetics and Osmosis Beauty, on the podcast. And, you know... I definitely learned some things. I was exposed to some new ideas and that's what I I want us to keep in mind. Every guest I have on the show may not be totally in alignment with my personal philosophy. There might be certain things we disagree on, certain things that we totally are aligned on. And that is the beauty of this industry. And You know, I hope this podcast can be a place that celebrates and highlights different philosophies. It can feel like (laughs) a bit of a battlefield out there on social media where so many people have different opinions and, you know, people can get very upset if they feel like somebody disagrees with them or has a different belief. And I think you learn so much more when you can just be open and understanding that you may not agree with absolutely everything um, a guest is saying. You might hear some things that are new and different, but again, that is the beauty of this industry. And when we go through school, we're all, you know, sort of taught the same things in this conventional system. Then you get out of school and you're exposed to all of these different brands that have totally different philosophies. And it can be very confusing as new estheticians or, you know, just in the space in general, because there can be lots of conflicting opinions when it comes to skincare. But again, I want us to celebrate them. I think you guys are going to love this episode. It is so educational, so informative, and full of a lot of (laughs) new ideas that challenge conventional popular beliefs, even beliefs that I'd say I'm aligned with or that, you know, are widely embraced as fact in our aesthetics community. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and just keep keep an open mind. Let me know what you think on social media at my SD Tessa. Also, don't forget to leave us review on iTunes. All you have to do is toggle over to the star section. And these reviews are so important. More than I even realize, the more I talk to other podcasters, the more I realize these reviews are really important to keep shows alive and growing. So those reviews mean so much. It just takes, <laughs> takes, it can take 30 seconds. It can be a one sentence review. I so appreciate it. It really benefits my show, our community, and helps 
other estheticians come across this podcast and expand their education. So it is definitely a good energy exchange and I appreciate it so, so much. Without further ado, let's get into the podcast with Dr. Ben. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Treatment Room. Oh, yeah. That's my pleasure. Well, we're we're very excited to get to know you more. I know a lot of SDs in the community are familiar with osmosis. Would you mind telling us a little bit about you and your background and how you got interested in skin? Sure. Yeah, I uh, was a little bit of a a different approach. I was uh, actually in residency to be a sports medicine physician and about two thirds of the way through that specialty, I opened a laser clinic on the side and um, ultimately um, decided just sort of the landscape of medicine that that was the most intriguing thing to me. So I ended up opening up several laser clinics uh, in four states and did everything wrong. <laughs> but my entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> just uh, kept, kept me going. I, like I hired my friends from high school okay. to manage the clinics, like terrible things. But in the end, um, it started <laughs> me down, down a path of formulating. So I formulated my first skincare brand during that time called Cosmetics. And they're still around today, pretty popular. Um, and um, <clears throat> then I um, sort of, well, you know, long story short, I sold my interest in that, you know, some partner stuff that was going on. And I was going to kind of retire from that aspect okay. of my life. But I ended up finding out um, uh, as I was trying to understand, like, you know, one of the challenges for me that has always been in the skincare industry, uh, because I was one of the few doctors who was like, at the trade shows, giving classes and uh, and doing stuff like that is it just felt very much like a, a used car lot um, of marketing stories. And I became sort of disenchanted mm-hmm. with the, the um, lack of permanent change that we were getting in the skin and really uh, later on realized the lack of uh, the focus on the real causes of uh, skin conditions and the real causes of skin aging that aren't dressed well enough in the stories and ingredients that uh, are commonly used out there. And so in 2007, I uh, founded Osmosis, osmosisbeauty.com specifically, and um, really focused on what was missing in the skin and what we needed to really get it to move to uh, create permanent additions of collagen and to clear skin conditions in a more permanent way. And uh, that led me to realizing over a period of a few years after starting it, that a lot of the skin problems that we face out there are actually coming from an internal imbalance and less from a skin problem. So for the listeners who uh, mm-hmm. are like, what do you mean? Uh, like, how is acne not a skin problem? Or how is eczema not a skin problem? Well, um, from what I've learned, mm-hmm. um, and I think... Uh, from what I've proven with our results, uh, you know, the actual source of acne comes from inside and the actual source of eczema is a internal yeast infection, actually. So it is, um, it's been a fascinating ride. And um, I guess I would say, you know, my, my 
greatest strength is I was not limited by the box that, you know, Western medicine typically puts on physicians. I, I kept my, an open mind. I looked at, you know, Eastern medicine, Ayurvedic philosophies, and really just uh, let uh, my intuition guide me to read studies, maybe from a different perspective, or I'm not exactly sure how it all ended up, uh, but I, I know that it always was led by a passion to find uh, the real solutions to skin uh, conditions. So that's how I got in it. Now we've been, I've been going strong for 15 years and really excited about uh, where things are going. Yeah, I I spent the morning listening to some of your podcasts and YouTube oh. videos and felt like I was really aligned with a lot of what you said. I love your oh, philosophy on skin health and the idea that, yeah, these responses we're seeing, whether it's eczema or acne, um, are happening for a reason, right? And and they're almost like messengers. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's people like we we call ourselves a holistic medical brand, and 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 when we tell, when we do have physician clients, but we we do have a focus on the esthetician population. I think you know they're more open to these alternative ideas. But the the idea of um, combining a holistic and medical uh, concepts is simply this, that I think the bent skin does best when it's not traumatized, when it's not poisoned. You know, I, I don't believe in Botox. I, I think uh, filler is a mistake. And, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of traumatic chemical uh -huh. peels and lasers and all that stuff, because what I found was, you know, just like you might imagine, and this is where my science and logic mind kicked in. It's like, well, we already know, like nobody's thinks that injuring themselves right before they run right. a marathon is going to help them run a marathon better. Right. And, um, and we forget like there uh -huh. are real yeah. reasons why we see changes in the skin and body. And if, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw in the research was for example, that skin loses its circulation every year of our adult life starting at about age 25. So when you're 50, um, you're, you've got 25% less food and, uh, and uh, immune support in your skin than you did when it was at its best. So uh, there's a reason why the turnover rate slowed down. There's a reason why collagen production couldn't keep up. And it, it wasn't because the system was broken. It was more about the system being starved. And so trauma doesn't feed the system better, right? Trauma starves the system more. So uh, that yeah. just sort of kept uh, this information kept accumulating and um, so yeah, as, as we talk today about whatever the subjects you think your, your listeners would like to hear most, you'll find I'm very logical, but at the same time, it'll be stuff they probably haven't heard before. It's, it's a good little disclaimer for anyone listening. Some of this information might be new to things we've learned in school or from manufacturers you carry as an esthetician. But I, what I'm interested in is hearing different stories and having conversations and hearing about different philosophies. So I'm Good. very open to it. And Dr. Ben, I wanted to ask you, what is it like as an MD, you know, coming from that world where lasers and Botox and injectables are all embraced? What What is it like for you as a medical practitioner having this different school of thought now? Well, to be uh, perfectly honest, I love it. I love being a contrarian, uh, but it's primarily <laughs> <laughs> it's primarily because I believe so passionately 
and what I'm saying. And, and, you know, this is 15 years of, of this different direction that I've gone. If at any time I saw evidence that what I was saying wasn't material, you know, the, the, the protocols I was suggesting, if the results weren't materializing, I would have done an about face and not everything that I uh, thought was right ended up being right. Uh, A good example would be, you know, there's a, there's a big push right now in the microbiome and, you know, you can talk about the skin microbiome, you can talk about the gut microbiome. Um, But one of the areas where I was spent a couple of years researching, getting ready to create a a really exotic uh, probiotic combination. And then the reality hit me, probiotics are bad for you. And, uh, and I can explain that at some point if we want, but um, you know, there was an example of where I didn't yeah. just chase down the next fad or, uh, you know, I lit- I looked at it. I-, I tried to make sense of how is our microbiome developed? Why are your and my microbiome so different? You know, how much did food really play a role in it? They, they say the microbiome is formed in the first two years of life. Um, and it comes from the food we eat. I'm like, <laughs> that would, that would be really bad news considering, you know, <laughs> how many babies are on Infamil and uh, Gerber baby food. And like that, it just, it, those, those uh-huh. foods don't contain probiotics uh, in any uh, way, especially not all the crazy, you know, there's like 10,000 different exotic probiotics. So the, the point being that your skin and your body uh, create its own microbiome through the DNA that we have. It's our DNA generated microbiome. So for me, that meant, oh my gosh, the prebiotic is the focus. Feeding the replacement good bugs is the way we want to serve the system, not trying to repopulate with some store-bought shelf, uh, uh, you know, uh, collection of probiotics that aren't what you're missing. You know, we all are missing something different. And so, um, you know, and then I found the clinical studies that show the probiotics actually harmed recovery of the microbiome after antibiotics. It didn't help it. It was people were better off not taking anything than taking probiotics. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm I'm moving forward. And so then I spent a lot of effort looking at well, what does the prebiotic mean, and how do we deal with that? Um, so yeah, everywhere I looked, I saw um, confirmation, if you will. Have you, for example, had a, a chance to look at our skin mapping? You know, I was watching your your YouTube video where you were talking about some of the products you make and you mentioned your prebiotic and you mentioned this face mapping and how it relates to redness on the face. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, it's a little harder, isn't it, when we're doing a podcast, but hopefully people can uh, follow along. Um, But what I, I, you know, again, so where I'm different is um, I'm very personally involved with my clients and their customers. So I'm literally most of my day every day is supporting uh, my clients with protocols to help serious conditions, very serious autoimmune conditions even. And, um, and of course, many, many skin conditions and all the weird patterns that showed up. Well, that's what I kept seeing was this recurring pattern, uh, you know, like acne, we never, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. when you put on your logic hat, and you're like, okay, I just had a let's say 12 year old come in to my uh, Medi spa and they had uh, acne on their two temples. They had little patches mm-hmm. of acne on both temples in the same spot. How does that happen? Like if we go to the, the, the Western medical yeah. model of acne, you would go, wait a minute, 
So you're telling me just randomly on a kid who's pretty clean every day, <laughs> doesn't sweat, that he's got two batches of infective bacteria growing on opposite sides of the face, but in the identical location? Like that's like the chances of that, yeah. if, if it was really in a bacterial perfect infection. Symmetry. Yes, in perfect symmetry. And of course, acne is not always in perfect symmetry, but a lot of times it is. It's amazing. And so, um, you, you know, that's not logical. And then you start looking at the studies where, uh, you know, they found that in fact, acne is more of inflammatory than it is infectious. And this makes sense because so many people who went on antibiotics for acne didn't see an improvement at all or got worse. And we right. put topical antibiotics right. and antibacterials on our face every day. And still acne is very, very hard to try to control. Why is all that happening? Why would it be? Well, the answer is uh, what I learned is that um, acne is actually a toxin purge. And so then when I applied that knowledge to every zone, I started seeing, oh, interesting that these people who eat a lot of dairy and sugar are having acne in these zones. And people who eat certain types of protein like pea protein, they show up as acne in these zones. Or people who, uh, what's another example of preserved foods? Maybe protein bars. Yeah, protein bars. They get acne along the jawline uh, more readily. Or uh, why do people come in and their only acne is on their neck? What the heck is going on there? Well, I learned over time that the neck is pesticide acne, front and back. So anywhere on the neck, it's a pesticide. That also goes right up in front of the ear and behind the ear. So any neck, any uh, acne in those okay. zones is pesticide. Any acne along the jawline, and that's about an inch above and below the jawline, uh, up to that place closer to the ear where it starts to become pesticide, that jawline is food preservative acne. And then acne around the mouth, uh, kind of in a goatee pattern down to the center chin, that's candida acne. Acne on the cheeks and the temples and the forehead, that's candida acne. And when I say, have you heard of candida? I have, yeah. So yeast derived, right? Yeah, yeast. This is, you know, a lot of people don't realize, but there's 56 different identified strains of candida and and the reason why candida is so prevalent in our world is antibiotics tend to promote more candida, sugar promotes more candida, um, pesticides and food preservatives, they kill off the good bugs and that leaves room for this growth of candida if your diet promotes it. Um, so I found that all these different strains of candida cause different conditions. So some people who have a specific strain of candida will get eczema. Others who have a specific strain of candida get uh, acne on the face in those patterns I just described. And then um, others get sebaceous hyperplasia. Others get psoriasis is a different strain than eczema. And so it turns out like, a, a, you know, quite a few skin conditions can be explained. Um, and, and this also helps people because you know how they might come to you and They'd be like, listen, I'm getting all this acne on my back, which I haven't told you yet. A back and chest acne is from chlorine. Okay, so chlorine from tap water mainly. So they come to you and they're like, I don't, I don't sweat. Why am I getting acne on my back? I take two showers a day. You know, I'm putting an antibacterial lotion on my back every day and I'm still breaking out. How could this be? And they don't realize um, that it's actually from the water they're drinking. 
that is the main source of this. And so once you know that, it makes sense to them like, wait, oh, and they notice, hey, when I stop drinking tap water or when I buy a chlorine filter, because a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't drink tap water. I drink refrigerator filtered water or filtered water from Brita or something. Well, those don't have, those don't collect chlorine. Your chlorine still goes through that system. So you need to actually drink spring water or uh, well water most of the time. Although guess what they're doing now? They're putting chlorine in all the wells. Um, or, and by the way, chlorine is bleach. You know, a lot of people think, well, isn't chlorine something in our body? No, chloride is in our body. Chlorine is always attached to oxygen. That's the why, that's the way that it kills bacteria uh, in water. And so they're bleaching us, which is one of the worst poisons you can ingest. And of course, in certain places like Texas and, and uh, Florida, they're putting way, way too much bleach. So this comes out on the chest and back. And that's why swimmers, you know, a lot of times swimmers have acne on their chest or back. And they're like, how could this be? I'm floating in bleach water all day long. Uh, and the answer is, um, the answer is, well, because sometimes they're opening their mouth and spitting the water out. But every time you let pool water into your mouth, because it doesn't absorb through the skin as easy as we think. But every time you let it in your mouth, it, uh, it absorbs or you swallow a little bit of it. And that ends up being how you get it. So anyway, um, those patterns kept showing up. And that's where skin mapping was born. Um, and it makes so much sense and it keeps, I keep reconfirming it. So again, this is many, many years of having thousands of estheticians show me cases, tell me that person's history, what they're exposed to, what they drink, what they eat, what their medicines they're on. And then I look at their face and I'm like, oh yeah. So when you look at rosacea, for example, most rosacea shows up in the digestive zones because rosacea is from digestive inflammation. So helping people with their digestion clears their rosacea. And that's this holistic idea where I want to treat you from the inside and out. Okay, wow. I mean, this is so interesting. I feel like we have so much to unpack. So yeah. <laughs> going back to going back to your example of water and tap water, yeah. I've also heard this theory that is a reason estheticians should recommend toners is that these trace minerals, including chlorine are left on the skin and they can be congested. Is that something you would agree with? No. Okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Uh, so, so you're saying with minerals, which, which by the way, my, uh, my, I have a product called infuse and boost. Um, and they both contain minerals. So, um, I am a believer in trace minerals for the skin, but not, but just for a modest benefit of a sort of a food supply concept uh, for starving skin and, and less of this idea of, of that. But no, so my experience with congestion is that it comes from mucus in the body. And when you really look, so, so let's take my mapping. So what's interesting about my map too is the, the way the body, the digestive system lays out is the way it connects on the face. So let's start with the tip of the nose and the nose. So that is your esophagus and the back of your throat. So when you talk about, well, I don't want to get off into too much of a tangent, but like alcohol. So if you drink hard alcohol a lot, you get a red nose. Why is that? Because hard alcohol hits the back of your throat and causes damage. 
no one else has an explanation for why alcoholics tend to get a red nose, but I can tell you it's about skin mapping in that location. So then you, the whole esophagus is your nose. So a lot of people get blackheads on their nose. Well, yeah, if you eat a lot of dairy and your body's struggling to break that down, or if you eat the other one that's a big common one for mucus is blackhead, I'm sorry, is a fried food. So you get these blackheads on your nose. Well, that's your esophagus. Well, you don't get mucus in your stomach because it's an acid pit. So the mucus then passes to your small intestine. Well, that zone is on the just on the two, if you want to think of it as two. And then you can go to osmosisbeauty.com and find the map and see this stuff drawn out on the on the skin. Or they can Google it probably and see our osmosis map out there in the webosphere. But it is a um, this, there's two zones that go parallel to the nose on the sides. And that is your small intestine. And then sort of the cheekbone zone going around and up through the forehead, that is your large intestine. So you see a lot of times, where do we see blackheads? Have you ever wondered why we don't see a lot of blackheads, say, on the outer edges of the forehead or um, even oftentimes on the outer edges of the cheeks, right? We usually see blackheads closer to the nose and on the nose. And the reason why that is, is because those are the two zones most closely linked to uh, where the stomach struggles to break down these foods. So you have mucus from um, in the esophagus and mucus in the small intestine. And that's why we have congestion. So I believe congestion comes from mucus. And that's why, you know, one of the pathways of clearance for me for congestion is my, um, it's called skin clarifier. It's a mucus cleanse. Uh, I, I couldn't find any mucus cleansers in the whole world. I think there's a, something called a, a glyphenicin that people take, but that's more of a mucus suppressor. And what I'm trying to do is get it out of your body. And so uh, this cleanses mucus and it also cleanses it from your sinuses. Um, so it has, you know, systemic benefits. That. Yeah. Oh, you do? That's cool. Oh, <laughs> I have a cold right now. So. Oh, right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say because allergies, the number one cause of allergies is actually mucus. Um, but so, um, so that's the congestion. So yeah, no, I don't think the toner is doing that. Toner's not doing that. Um, and very interesting about the mucus, just from what I've been researching online, even like swallowing that mucus when you're sick, it seems like the research is saying it kind of perpetuates that infection. Does that align with what you're saying? I would say yes and no. So I, uh, I wonder the same thing. Cause I do like, if I have mucus in my nose, I, I, you know, like a lot of us, we end up swallowing it and I, and I know that it thins out quite a bit going through the stomach, but I think it can't, it can have the potential to re-solidify, but, uh, a classic, uh, presentation is someone who has post-nasal drip where they're, you know, they're constantly dripping mucus there. You'll see blackheads all along their nose because that's, dripping right down their esophagus and leaving a mucus uh, layer there. So um, so what, what does mucus cause besides blackheads? Well, it promotes candida of all things. And that's really where I learned about it because I was finding that my anti-candida therapies struggled in some people. And I was trying to figure out, well, what do they have that's different than the other people responding? And I learned eventually it was this mucus accumulation. So... Um, yeah, to me, congested skin means you have mucus and, you know, Tessa, one of the interesting things is people have learned themselves, you know, we, we, you know, and I'm a general practitioner by definition, uh, even though like I'm an expert in skin, 
And, but I see the dermatologists and so often they say food has nothing to do with skin health. And yet as estheticians, you hear, uh, you, we, we know that's not true. And even as consumers, they know it's not true. How do they know it? Because they cut dairy out and they noticed their acne started to decrease, right? They changed their diet to reduce their sugar and they noticed their acne responded. Now it doesn't always respond to the diet changes fast enough for people. And so they might give up. But the reason for that is if you've had acne for a long time, like over a year, the mucus solidifies into a plaque. And so you actually need special treatment to remove a plaque. It doesn't just go away on its own. And that's why so many people get frustrated because they're like, it doesn't matter what I eat, how clean I eat, I still have acne. And for those people, it simply is a matter of mucus plaques, in my opinion. We're seeing as estheticians and derms as well, we're seeing more cases of worse acne and more stubborn acne and more people yeah. having it. Yeah. Do you have a theory when it comes to, I know you think of acne as this toxin purge. Do you have yeah. a theory as to why it seems more predominant now? Yes. Uh, our food choices have become worse and worse. The options available to us the, uh, the amount of fresh food people eat anymore is almost non-existent. Everybody is, you know, going to the grocery store and what they have available to them are toxic foods. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, what I guess I'll call a conspiracy theories as to this idea that I, I think there's some intentional uh, effort to poison the masses and that's I, this is my my and the reason why I get to that just for the people like oh come on how could that be well first of all look at the evidence like we know most of the food we eat is crap uh, number one number two um, we have the highest pesticide use in the world by a long shot and pesticides are carcinogenic like we know they cause cancer and here are we have all these cancer rates going up breast cancer all the colon cancer. Hello, why don't we stop feeding ourselves carcinogens as, as the first step in this? Um, but the real problem is, I think, you know, through this pandemic, a lot of us uh, you know, defaulted to more fast food. Um, a lot of people can only afford to eat fast food. And that's very uh, acne promoting because of, you know, for all the chemicals and all the mucus prom promotion that it causes. Um, that's a big one. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really it. It's, it's about where you live and, and you'll see a lot less acne in places where they're not forced to eat junk food as their main source of food. Okay. So, and for the audience listening, are there some food examples that you could throw out that you are a fan of when it comes to, um, that's a great a, question. A, a lifestyle that that wouldn't support acne. Well, so part of my exploration has all, and I'm not, you know, an, an expert in nutrition at this point. I've certainly had a my fair share of education on it. Um, here's what I would say: I the same way that the DNA promotes your microbiome. So your DNA, my DNA, everyone listening's DNA. That's created because their DNA is unique. Their microbiome is is unique. And have you ever heard of that that book, uh, Eat Right for Your Blood Type? Uh huh, I have. Okay, yeah. So that that idea that some of us have tendencies of what we want to eat, I don't think it's exactly right. I don't think the focus is necessarily as much on the blood type, although there's a lot of truth in that book. 
the, the real answer is that your blood type is determined by your DNA. And so your DNA kind of gives you, it gives you cravings. It gives you, you know, desire, uh, um, uh, it, it, it modifies based on where you're living. Uh, like if you move to a much different food thing, you're going to see your microbiome is going to shift to the kind of foods you start eating as well. But uh, the general idea here is uh, not, there's not one answer for everybody on food because some people can absolutely tolerate a lot of meat. Other people can't. And you see their tendencies, you know, might move towards vegetarian or veganism. Um, and I know, you know, the vegans, I, I dated a vegan and she's like, the vegan is the answer for everybody. And um, I, do, I don't think it's as strict as that. Um, and there's pros and cons to being a vegan. But here's what I would say generally. Um, if you're going to do dairy uh, and you crave dairy, then probably you're, you, you could you could be pretty good at digesting dairy. What I found is is people start losing their tolerance to dairy. It has a lot to do with how much mucus is in their system. So cleaning out the mucus and restoring your microbiome will get you back to being able to handle uh, dairy better. But if you're going to do dairy, do organic, obviously. You know, you don't want the pesticides. You don't want the, the hormones and antibiotics that are in that. Um, that's a big one. Um, if you're going to cheat and eat ice cream, eat real ice cream. You, you know, I it's scary sometimes when you see these these um, popular ice cream brands that you leave on the counter overnight and they don't melt. They keep their structure, and you're like, "That's that's <laughs> not, not right. dairy, right?" Uh, or you like, or you or you get the the milkshakes, which I don't even know if they're legally allowed to call them milkshakes anymore at the fast food chains, and those aren't really dairy. There's some kind of chemical alternative to dairy. Those are the worst. Okay, so if you're gonna do dairy, you're trying to do, do organic. And um, and pure dairy. I'm actually a, a believer in in raw dairy. Um, I don't prefer it myself taste wise, um, but I try to do grass fed uh, dairy whenever possible and always organic. And then uh, that's on the dairy front. I'm a believer in intermittent fasting. And the reason why I think that trend is being well received has a lot to do with the fact that your body wants to detox. And, um, you know, we, we face, according to the research, each of us faces about a million toxins a day. So what not eating for, you know, let's say 12 hours at a time or even longer, some people are doing 18 hours at a time, um, by not doing that, believe it or not, it gives your time, your body time and, and, and the opportunity to release some of the toxic waste. And that's why people have success with weight loss, because I think a lot of weight gain is toxin weight and not fat weight. And so that's another strategy I recommend. Obviously, if you're going to eat organic uh, dairy, you should do organic meats and, and veggies and fruits. Um, I actually don't believe that fruits and veggies, and this is a bit controversial, but I don't believe they're as essential as people think. One of the things I've come to learn looking at everyone's diet, in particular my four children, who all had very different eating patterns, I'm like, how are you getting bigger and looking healthy and staying healthy with the diet you're currently eating, right? We all ask that about our kids. Like, how do these kids grow up healthy when their diet is pizza and chicken nuggets? You know, uh, somehow they do it. And the answer is that we get so much of our minerals from water, as long as we're not doing reverse osmosis water. Uh, we get so much of our minerals from water and we get... Um, you know, and our body recycles amino acids remarkably well. And people don't realize, you know, amino acids are in 
you know, carbohydrates and non-protein substances as well. People, you know, think of all the people that used to live on during famines of potatoes and water, right? Or, or of rice and water. And like, how do they, how do their organs keep functioning? Well, the answer is our bodies are remarkably resilient. So I think we're a little too obsessed with in this supplement culture right now where we think, oh my gosh, I need to supplement with magnesium and calcium and, um, and a maca and, uh, you know, some, some of these exotic herbs that they think their body is thriving on. And I've just found most of it's unnecessary. So that's a bit, you know, obviously off the mainstream view, but, um, you know, it came, it's come to me over time, just based on the fact that I find a lot of people are actually seeing their bodies get negative responses. Like I've seen people develop skin conditions because they use magnesium citrate, which happens to form a lot of mucus, or they take way too much vitamin C. Uh, I think you shouldn't take more than 250 milligrams of vitamin C or you're going to form too much mucus. Or they take probiotics and like, oh, probiotics, they have to be good for you. But in fact, that probiotic is causing them to develop stomach issues called H. pylori or that's causing them to develop yeast. Um, so there's so many, there's so many uh, minefields out there. Uh, yes. It's really hard. Yes. Yeah. It is really hard. Okay. Well, thank you for that really great explanation, Dr. Ben. Um, yeah. I have a question for you. Can I ask yeah. you a question about intermittent fasting when it comes to women? So yeah. I know for a long time we were on this train. Then I felt like we saw this reversal, a little pushback and people saying this test doesn't consider women. And I see a lot of women who wake up, they're not hungry for breakfast. They go straight to, you know, a black coffee to keep their fast. Then they get into their busy day and they have that stress from the coffee and no, um, no Nutrients. meal or energy source you yeah. propel them through their day, then they get into this cycle of emails and work and all this stuff. And I've had this kind of just a total hunch that maybe it's intermittent fasting isn't serving women. What would you say to that? Oh, no, I, um, what, what you need. Okay. So uh, a couple of things I've learned that are different than the textbooks is, um, you know, you have a, a carbohydrate, storage in your system uh the, the carbohydrates are primarily storing in your liver so depending if you are running if you are running without a meal your body is feasting on carbohydrates up until the point where you hit your you empty your reserve okay you know, so there's mm -hmm. a i should say until you uh, empty your excess and then you your body starts choosing depending on the need uh either fat for fuel or carbohydrates for fuel. And I'm telling you, it will get it from your system. And a lot of people are like, oh no, it needs the protein for fuel. No, uh, the body goes to breaking down your muscle at a very extreme level of starvation. That won't happen as long as you're eating, you know, enough calories every day uh, in, in the one meal you're doing. So no, I don't think women have a, a different requirement there. And you just need to know sense. that yeah. Yeah. No, you're, 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 you have fat. Um, now, uh, interesting thing that relates to beauty on this subject that I've found is if you're somebody who runs low in body fat. So in a woman, I would say anybody below say 15, 16% is right on the edge of unacceptable low body fat. One of the things your body will burn 
let's say, let's say you're someone who's really fit and really, you know, proud of the fact you're running, let's say half marathons or marathons and, and your body's running 12% body fat. Well, when you push your body, like you're saying, stress it throughout the day, not eat throughout the day, and you don't have that body fat, the place your body steals energy from is the fats that are called your fat pads. Fat pads are different than the subcutaneous fat that we all hate, the loose fat on our belly or our buttocks or thighs. That is subcutaneous fat. Fat pads are structural. They're what make your face the shape that it is. You have fat pads in your forehead, in between your brows. You have them um, underneath your eyes, uh, around your mouth. And uh, of course, they're actually fat pads in your buttocks and your thighs and in your arms. Those are the main and your neck. Okay. So what happens to women uh, in particular, because um, I don't know, I, I don't know if societal BS has led women, more women stay in shape than men, it seems, right? But like these women <laughs> who are running lean, what's happening, people like Courtney Cox is a great example of this. They, when you see them when they're like 22 at the yeah. beginning of Friends, she's gosh, I bet I would have to guess she was like 13% body fat, something like that during that show, really thin. And what happens is over time, uh, if you do what you said, you intermittent fast, your body will steal from the volume fat that I was just talking about. And that next thing you know, your face ages dramatically over a period of years. And that's worsened with sugar, smoking, alcohol. Those are the three thing, main things that, that make it worse. Actually, chemotherapy, you know, that's all too common, unfortunately, these days. That's another one that robs from the, the structural fats. So you end up the, – the main presence of aging is actually coming from the fact that you've lost your fat pad volume, which is why I invented a product mm -hmm. that refills your fat pad volume called Recovery. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, I but have, it, I, I have yeah. heard about your um, – your fat pads and, and this product. And, awesome. and I know you're not a fan of filler. So you're saying yeah. this would be an alternative to that perhaps? Yeah, because and it's really an alternative to Botox as well, which I'm not a fan of because that that flattens out your muscle bed. And you're, you know, I was, I was trying to explain to someone just earlier today, if you think about your dermis, so we all, like, you know, us in the beauty world, we all talk about collagen. It's our main focus. How do we make more collagen? If we really want to talk uh, and I'm trying to think of how to do it as an, on the podcast, how the analogy should go. But let's say that the papillary dermis, which is your main area of lost collagen as we age, okay? Your papillary dermis, uh, uh, let's say from age 25 to 50, you lose 25% of the volume of your papillary dermis. Well, that is roughly, uh, how would I describe it in a, um, that's roughly the thickness of, um, let's say 20 or 20 sheets of paper stacked on top of each other. Okay. Pretty darn thin. Um, if you can imagine, you know, do your fit, your pointer finger above your thumb, just barely above your thumb, not very much volume. And think about how deep our wrinkles get. It seems weird, right? That you have at age 50, we have these deep lines and all we lost was like a stack of 20 pieces of paper worth of of a volume in our collagen. Well, over that same period of time, you also lose 25%, let's say roughly, uh, well, it varies from, from individual to individual. But if you lost 25% of your volume of your fat pad, 
that is three to four times the thickness of that uh, collagen loss. So when we talk about wrinkles in the face, the big story is really volume. How, is, how thick are your muscles? Do they stay thick and strong? Well, with Botox, no, they actually die. Each time you poke Botox in that muscle, it's dying a little bit more and flattening out a little bit more. And that volume is similar to a fat pad volume. It's a, it's a, it starts off as a big chunk of your face volume. So, um, and you can look to people like, um, you know, people know celebrities pretty well. Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey dramatically changed his appearance after he did that movie where he was a drug addict. I think maybe he had AIDS as well. But he, he got so thin for that. And then after that, he was never yeah, the same. He didn't he really look the gone. same. Yes. And so they, the actors don't realize when you starve yourself to that level, your body steals those fat pads and they don't come back when you eat a Big Mac. The only fat that comes back with a Big Mac is your subcutaneous fat, the bad stuff. So um, that's why recovery is so unique is it actually doesn't make you fatter. It only rebuilds the structural fat of the face and body in those zones. I'll give you another example. Women hate their loose flabby arms right? When they're 50, they're like, why do I have this loose skin on my arms? What the heck? Like I work out, my muscles are about the same. Well, the answer is in your arms, you have fat pads. So when you start to lose the fat pads that are inside the muscles of your arms, next thing you know, all that skin is loose. Or you know how you get the crepey skin around your knees and they're like, why is my skin so loose? I work out. The answer is again, structural fat pads in the thighs. We're holding your skin up and out. And as you get older, they shrink away. So it's a really important one. It's one of the things I'm so uh, passionately teaching on because it's not something a lot of people know or talk about. This is not a collagen powder, right? Which yeah, you know, and so that's another interesting about. one. Yes, uh, you know, I try to explain to people about collagen. Um, and again, collagen was another one of those things where I was going down a path and then I redirected because I realized collagen was not the answer. So to help people understand about collagen and supplements, which are way too popular. And the reason why I say they're too popular is because they don't really do much and they cause harm. I don't know exactly what it is about the formulas, but I'm finding in my, you know, my, you know, esthetician group. And again, these is thousands of estheticians giving me their cases Time after time, I'm finding that their collagen supplement is causing them to develop mucus or to develop candida or, um, you know, mm. they're somehow harming their microbiome. I don't know what it is, but here's the explanation of why people misunderstand how it works. When you swallow collagen, your stomach may or may not break it down. If your stomach doesn't break it down, which doesn't always because it's not easy to break down that kind of a protein, and especially you don't know how it was treated from the animal to the packaging. Um, if it doesn't break down, it's going to be a source of inflammation in the gut. Okay, the first and foremost, if it does break down, it doesn't break down to small pieces of collagen, it breaks down to amino acids. And so your body doesn't absorb collagen when you eat it, it absorbs some of the amino acids that uh, the body broke down from that collagen. And the truth of the matter is you get amino acids from all kinds of foods. And yes, it's true that if you're eating skin collagen as opposed to bone collagen, 
you might have a different population of amino acids that might be more targeted for the skin. But one of the other things I learned, and this goes back to what we were talking about with your body's remarkably self-sufficient, is that your skin recycles. You have collagen in your face. And so every day your skin is breaking down damaged collagen and rebuilding new collagen all day long. We know about this. It's clinically proven to be the case. And guess what? When you break down in a, a collagen molecule, those amino acids, are chances are, are, are highly recyclable and they're going to be reused. Yes, there's always going to be some waste each time, but for the most part, there's a lot of recycling going on. And thank goodness, right? We know this because we know if that were not the case, then people who were operating on uh, the, the, the rice and water diet, they, they couldn't, their skin would just completely be emaciated after a year uh, of not getting, you know, so that tells you that even through starvation, your skin holds up remarkably well. Um, that's because our skin recycles. So um, mm. two points. The one is I find collagen supplements to be harmful most of the time. And number two, your body doesn't need, it doesn't absorb the collagen and drop the collagen into a slot like I think a right, lot of consumers right. think. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, I feel like everything you said seems... <laughs> a little out there at first, but then you get into the science and it's kind of just going with our body's own natural defense system. And you're saying we don't need all these crazy supplements we're seeing and these gimmicky things and trends that are marketed to us for yeah. our beauty. And today's webosphere, you know, with TikTok and Instagram, so many opinions. And there, and of course, I'm, I'm guess I'm in that class too. But, um, but, but with all these opinions, like you can get go right down the rabbit hole and you're like, wow, that person is really compelling in what they said. And next thing you know, you're taking a, a bunch of supplements that, uh, you know, are just another, and they'll tell you, oh, that uh, magnesium depletion is the cause of cancer. Or uh, if you just had zinc, you could fight off COVID. Or, you know, there's some, uh, there, there's all these different opinions. And, you know, yes, the truth is somewhere in between all of that. Um, but I, what I try to do is I say, well, here's the logic as to why uh, that isn't true. And I had to start there with my own brain, right? I, I, everything I, 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 I uh, come to in the end is a very science-based idea, even though it doesn't like fit the mainstream. So yeah, I, I'm glad you appreciate that. And hopefully mm -hmm. we'll, you know, can cover a couple more subjects that um, speak exactly yes. to that. Since we're talking about collagen and preserving it and hopefully restoring it, uh, naturally, I, I want to ask you about sun damage and sun protection, and I have a hunch ah. you might have some good things to say about that. Well, <laughs> once again, I'm a bit, a bit of a contrarian. Uh, <laughs> okay. Here, here, here's what's interesting about the sun. Uh, it is known to stimulate collagen production. And you know how we're all caught up in oh, what wavelengths of light trigger fibroblast activity, and uh, like you, you, it shouldn't surprise people that the sun and it, and it's all the wavelengths it presents uh, could have collagen stimulating benefits. But that is true. The other thing that that everyone should know about the sun is that there is a crisis in our country of vitamin D deficiency, and when you look at the studies, vitamin D deficiency 
uh, see, shortens your lifespan, increases your cancer risk dramatically, increases your risk of disease dramatically. So I can promise you that sun is one of the most important aspects of your daily health. If you want to think of it that way, you know, try to get out. Now, the difference of, of aging and, you know, going in the sun and, and getting rejuvenation versus going in the sun and being aged is a sunburn. And so depending on one's health, right? There are a lot of people who are on birth control. They don't realize that lowers their tolerance for sun. So they sunburn easier uh, or they could be taking ibuprofen and don't realize, wow, that's actually causing them to get more sunburned. Or they could be doing something to their skin barrier, like exfoliating every day, which causes more sunburns. Or, um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, anyway, there's a host of medicines that cause immunosuppression. And so the whole idea is don't be a weekend warrior. Um, you know, try to get some regular sun exposure. So I'm not a believer, and I, this probably contradicts uh, what your take is, but I'm just not yes. a believer that you wear daily... <laughs> daily SPF in your, in your makeup, for example, um, okay. it, it's not, it's not necessary. Like, I don't think your drive to work is the reason why your skin is aging, uh, you know, dramatically. I, um, <laughs> I say that if you're, if you're out for more than 10 minutes, cause most people have at least a 10 minute tolerance, um, then yes, wear sun protection. And I'm not a believer in artificial sunscreens. I, you know, I'm a believer in zinc and titanium. Um, and okay. so, yeah, that, that makes sense to me, but, um, you know, don't obsess. Don't think that that is the quintessential, uh, uh, one of the quintessential core basics is wear your, uh, SPF 30 every day, all day. I actually don't subscribe to that, which is different. Um, yes, but yes it is different. So Dr. Ben, <laughs> just yes. to play devil's advocate, because yes, yes, you're, please do, you're please talking do. to, these um the SPF queens like myself who who are <laughs> SPF queens we yeah especially I think in the last few years there's there's been this big big push towards sunscreen and um it it is yeah. because we are taught as estheticians any change in you know the color of the skin reflects DNA damage and inflammation. So you're uh, saying, yes. correct me if I'm wrong, it's only when it crosses that threshold of being tanned skin. Uh, well, uh, well, let's see if I'm understanding that. Um, tan skin, <laughs> tan skin does not necessarily mean damaged skin. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I'm so gonna put that out there. In school, tan skin is damaged skin. I know, I know, I know. I say a lot of things that are a little bit different, but uh, let's, uh, okay, so there's a few categories to go in that direction. One of the things people have to understand about um, melanin production, okay? Why does your skin, when you, when you go out in the sun, the reason why you get darker, if you went out for 20 minutes, let's say today, the reason why your skin would be darker tomorrow morning is because you oxidize the melanin in your skin and it got browner. That is the main initial tan. Now, what's interesting about the human body is when you did go out in the sun, your skin said, ooh, we need more melanin to keep them protected. So my belief is that the melanocyte, which for those that don't know in your listener group, is the, the cell that makes your pigment for your skin. When your melanocytes make melanin, they're simply doing it as a protective response to your behavior. So if you frequently go in the sun, 
you're, you will produce more and more melanin. And as you are in the sun, that melanin oxidizes. It's not necessarily reflecting that you got the burn, but that you're actually just out in the sun. So that's why the skin starts doing that. And, you know, if we were talking about like sort of the, uh, the evolution of skin types, um, you could say like, you know, we see darker skin types coming from regions where their daily activities constantly had them with high sun exposure. So their body adapted over time and produced more and more melanin as a adaptive response. When you talk about age spots, yes, age spots are a protection response by the skin. Underneath an age spot is damage that the skin's unable to heal. That's why we don't get age spots when we're 20. We start getting age spots in our 30s and 40s because we've accumulated sunburns over time and eventually some of those sunburns led to a wound in our, uh, you know, I call it the DEJ, the dermal epidermal junction, um, that the skin has decided doesn't handle more sun exposure very well. So it creates a cloud of melanin, puts it above that wound, and um, that's why it's there. So I have a product, a patented product called Rescue that heals the DEJ and stops the melanin from overproducing. It's not a lightener. It's not a tyrosinase inhibitor, which is what most people would go to. They're like, oh, your melanocyte is broken, which is I know what they teach in school. Your melanocyte is broken. We need to inhibit that excess production because it's unsightly. And what I would say to you is if you have an age spot, that means you actually have a wound the skin is protecting. And that is why um, we see these, uh, these age spots. Then if we go to other forms of pigmentation, like uh, another example of this would be post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So someone who went and got a, a, yeah. So someone goes and gets a chemical peel, they make the mistake of going out in the sun too early, their skin still has a lot of wound healing going on. What does it do? It creates this protective barrier, a cloud of melanin in the surface skin. What's, and it's always so amazing to me how perfectly aligned it is with the wound underneath, right? Like you'll see these unique demarcations of where the pigment, it's not just one big perfect circle or one, it's, it's right in the zone where the burn hadn't healed yet that you see the pigment. Um, I'm always so impressed by the perfection of the human body. So my point is to say, again, not broken. The problem was putting too much sun exposure in an area where the skin is wounded. Melasma. Another example, well, guess what? The clinical studies show melasma, it has uh, dermal inflammation underneath it. That is why the skin makes brown. So a lot of people don't realize the actual source of melasma is the wound in the dermis and the skin wanting to protect that wound from the sun. And that's why, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I got melasma when I went on vacation last year. Well, really how you got the melasma is you had a dermal wound and then you went on vacation and the skin was like, oh, with this much sun, I'm definitely going to need to put a cloud of melanin over the top of this. And that's how their melasma starts. But where did that dermal inflammation come from? Well, I think it comes from the liver and liver damage. You know, why does birth control cause melasma? Because of well, the hormone damage to the liver. Uh, why do we get melasma in pregnancy? Because the liver is overwhelmed by the high hormones of pregnancy, especially when women have children after 30. So I started just connecting the dots of, well, when do women get mask of pregnancy? Oh, they're usually getting it when they have children later in life. Like I, all the time you'll hear the story, oh, 
my first child, I didn't get melasma. It was my second or my third child where I got melasma. Well, that's because your liver was less healthy by the time you had that third child. So those high hormones during pregnancy were too much for the liver to handle. It got a wound. Why does the wound show up in the skin? It does sometimes. Like the skin reflects stuff going on inside of us. And um, um, so we've proven this because we heal the liver and the melasma goes away. So we've already shown that our protocol that focuses on the liver is the way to get melasma to go away. Otherwise, you have a lifetime of, of um, you know, tra- using lighteners and going on vacation and losing all your results and going back to lighteners and burning your face to try to get the brown to come off. And then it comes back. And a lot of times it comes back worse and all those things, right? So um, to go back to your original point, so when we go out in the sun, um, no, there, there's, a, there's a tolerance that the skin has to sun to a degree that we should allow because if you just keep using SPF all the time and wearing clothes and and like you maybe you're in Asia holding an umbrella all the time your vitamin D deficiency will be um it'll be it'll actually cause you a great deal of health problems and that to me is uh more important to worry about than um the possibility that you stayed in the sun a few minutes too long um, so I don't know if I fully answered that question. What, do you have a question that comes out of what I just said? You're saying if we had two people who were taking care of their, their skin the same way, living the same lifestyle, you think the person who didn't wear sunscreen every single day in that, you know, complete capacity would have a better outcome than the person who did? Uh, better outcome, a better outcome in their health. I don't think their skin would be dramatically okay. affected. Like I, I, I like I'm the, the okay. casual, the casual exposure to sun throughout a day. And again, I'm defining casual as less than 10 minutes per, uh, per session. And, uh, you know, obviously it'd be longer tolerance if it's like four thirty five PM and you're getting sunshine, it's not going to be as intense. So you could probably get away at 15, 20 minutes without burning. Um, but yeah, okay. that casual okay. will, will not age you faster. And in fact, you'll be, you will be younger. I don't know that the skin will, you know, okay. look better, but it won't look more aged. Okay. And what about the idea that we can absorb vitamin D through other means? Would you say that's less maybe bioavailable from absorbing sun rays? Um, Yes, it's just a, it is less efficient. Um, there's way more that goes on than just vitamin D uh, production when you're in the sun. There's a, a lot of different activations, uh, DNA activations that they've measured from sun exposure that are health promoting. So uh, it is more than vitamin D. Uh, when the body makes vitamin D from sun exposure, it does it uh, with the involvements of, uh, I believe it's vitamins A, K, and E. Um, and so there's some, so, you know, if you're taking your vitamin D, you want to take it with vitamin K at the, at the minimum. Um, and so uh, it is harder to mimic, as you might imagine, right? It's so hard to mimic the complexities of, of the human skin's response. But definitely if you are somebody who's like, look, I just happen to live in uh, Minnesota and um, 
uh, I don't get sunshine because it's so darn cold during the winter, um, then yeah, vitamin D is, uh, I think, a really important supplement to add. Okay. Okay. Well, so interesting, Dr. Ben. We covered none of the questions I had written down, oh, but I think that's great. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll just, I mean, we'll I, have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you have a time limit. Like, I feel like we probably left people hanging when it comes to understanding um, how to trigger collagen. I can't remember what were, what was like an example of one of the questions you had that we didn't get to. Let's right. see. Okay. Um, collagen production. So you feel like you've left behind the world of lasers and not yeah. so huge on SPF all the time. How do you propose we? Yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit about collagen. I don't want to say. Okay, how do we? How would you say we promote collagen? So the important thing to understand is, is I remember I had laser clinics. I saw all the marketing material from the laser companies. And the bottom line is if you, every time you shoot a laser into the skin of a certain wavelength, it cooks the skin. It literally causes DNA damage. It causes the, the melting and damaging of collagen molecules, right? It closes blood vessels, which we now know are in short supply as we age. Okay, so that definitely happens. Now, what do you think your skin is going to do if? we all of a sudden burn a bunch of collagen. Well, it's going to crank up the collagen machine, right? The fibroblasts in your dermis are going to crank up manufacturing. And so what the laser companies were clever enough to do, and this was enough to fool the, the docs, is they were clever enough to go measure collagen right after you burn your skin. And they're like, hey, look, a 30% increase in collagen activity with this wavelength of light. So boy, it must be rejuvenating. And the doctors are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing that happens when you burn your skin is your skin swells uh, in response because it, your skin needs fluid in that area. It, the fluid brings in the immune cells. So swelling is part of it. So the whole tightening concept of lasers, everyone thinks it's because somehow we it's like we put the collagen in a dryer in like a cotton shirt, it tightened right up, right? That's, that's the image that is portrayed by the marketing material. But in reality, when you cook collagen, within 24 hours, your body tears it down. If you have damaged collagen from a laser, it's, it's not being tightened, it's actually being torn down by the skin. So the, the concept of trauma to create rejuvenation is, completely flawed in my opinion the clinical evidence never they always measure the immediate response they never measure three months six months like how much papillary you know because we talked earlier about how how the dermal collagen thins over time they never measure that to say oh yeah six months after you get fraxel your dermal collagen is increased by 10 percent or they don't they don't tell that story because it doesn't happen. Trust me, they measured it and they found bad news and they didn't report it. But um, so then what does increase your body's collagen production? What is missing in the, in the collagen manufacturing? Well, I talked about it earlier. You're losing your circulation. So the supply of amino acids, the supply of vitamin C, the supply of minerals, cofactors like copper, the supply, uh, sometimes zinc. Uh, the supply of uh, more fibroblasts, which, by the way, your skin diminishes its fibroblasts 
as the it, the circulation leaves, so do the fibroblasts. So we lose those collagen-making cells as we age. Uh, we also see growth factors that trigger. Uh, so we have a decline in growth factors. So really, when it comes down to why our skin loses collagen production as we age, it's it's about supply. It's about supply. It's not a broken system where the fibroblast doesn't know what to do. If you could feed your skin back up to where it was being fed when you were a 25-year-old, then your collagen manufacturing would be that of a 25-year-old. So the whole idea behind the osmosis system is what's missing? How do we increase more blood vessels? How do we increase the dilation of the existing blood vessels? How do what what nutrients are missing? How do we get um, more? Um, well, what they're called is hydroxylated amino acids. So a lot of people don't realize that vitamin C, the whole benefit of vitamin C is not that it's an antioxidant. Your skin doesn't use vitamin C as an antioxidant. It has superoxide dismutase. It has glutathione. It has very specific choices for how it puts out free radicals in your skin. Vitamin C is not the option that it chooses. Vitamin C is used to make amino acids sticky. So they'll stick to one another and join together to form collagen or proteins or cell structures of other kinds. That is why vitamin C is so important. So what is, uh, what is a, an amino acid that's been exposed to vitamin C called? It's called hydroxy. So hydroxyproline, hydroxylysine, hydroxyglycine, those are the most in-demand uh, precursors to collagen manufacturing. And so I focus a lot of my, like our, our main formula that provides those in bulk is called Catalyst. It is a vitamin C mixed with amino acids, mixed with something called AKG. Like it's a very unique formula. It's a patented formula. It's a clinically proven formula. And it shows that vitamin C can work. Even if it starts to oxidize, it's still going to work in the skin because when the C oxidizes in the skin, it recycles. And then it gets used again, and then it recycles again. And it used like there's like I was talking earlier. There's multiple reutilization of C, uh, and that's why we don't all have scurvy because a lot of us just probably don't eat a lot of C in our diet, and we still uh, do well. Well, how does that happen? It happens because uh, we recycle. So, going back to this this manufacturing, a lot of us focused our attention on uh, well, how do we push the collagen making button? Isn't that retinoic acid? Should I use retinoic acid on my skin? And the answer uh, from my perspective is wholeheartedly no. We're taking SPF down a peg. We're <laughs> stepping away from lasers. We don't like probiotics. Now we can't use our retinoids. Uh, well, no, not all retinoids. So I'm, I'm saying retinoic acid specifically is the most okay. toxic form for your skin. And people are like, how could that be if that's the form your skin uses to actually stimulate the receptors on the cells that make collagen? Well, here's the answer. Retinoic acid is not stored by the skin. So if you apply it topically, you overwhelm the skin with that. It's almost a hormone-like in its impact. And it actually was proven, and we keep this research on our website, but it was proven to thin the skin by 18% over one year's use in a, a major retinoic acid study. And why would it do that? Well, because too much of it, and next thing you know, it's sitting over there in areas 
where the skin would normally tear down damaged collagen. Well, if Retin-A is present in that area, the skin stops tearing down that collagen. So now all of a sudden, the damaged collagen remains, the skin collapses because it's not being replaced by a good collagen molecule. So I have an explanation as to why Retin-A thins the skin, but that's just one of many reasons. Mm -hmm. It's super damaging to the epidermis. Um, it is, it's a bad news. Now, all retinols do not lead to more retinoic acid production. The only one that's clinically proven to lead to more retinoic acid production, and I'm talking about letting your skin control it because your skin is brilliant. It's doing it all day long. It knows how to manage it. It's not going to make more than it can handle. It's only going to make what is available to be activated. It's not going to make free floating excess retinoic acid. So retinols don't do that. Only retinaldehyde does that. Have you heard of retinaldehyde? Oh, Dr. Ben. Hi. I think I got muted. Um, yeah, I don't know a ton about it. Okay. So retinaldehyde is the immediate precursor to retinoic acid. Whenever retinoic acid is made by the skin, it uses retinaldehyde as the molecule because it's a one-step process. So retinaldehyde is stored by the skin. Um, and when they did a clinical trial with retinaldehyde, they found that the same amount of retinaldehyde and retin-A when put into the skin created the same amount of collagen production. So retinaldehyde is so easily converted to retinoic acid that when it's found outside the cell, which is what would happen when you apply it topically, that the skin says, oh, okay, let me make some more retinoic acid from that. And then if there's too much, and, and let's say the skin decides that there's no more activation that could be had, it will store the remainder of that retinaldehyde for later use. So it was such a compelling argument to me, and it doesn't have the thinning effect. It doesn't have the inflammatory effect of retinoic acid. In fact, the inventor of retinoic acid, Dr. Kligman, or I should say the, the founder of making it a medication, Dr. Yes. Kligman, uh -huh. he wanted retinaldehyde. He, wa he just couldn't get okay. it stable. So the, the reason why you don't see retinaldehyde in every serum out there in the market today, number one is it's super expensive, but number two is it's not stable. So I had to find a lab who had stabilized it, and then I put a liposome around it so it had better penetration because one of the bigger inhibitors of activation of collagen is that it doesn't reach the dermis where it needs to reach. So I'm a believer that retinaldehyde is the only retinol that really rejuvenates the skin. And I know people are like, oh, it sounds like marketing, but here's what I would tell you. I could use any and every retinol. Like I could use a combination of retinols. Like I could see somebody logically going, you know what I want to use? I want to use a bit of all trans, a bit of retinol palmitate, a bit of retinol acetate, right? And a bit of, of regular retinol and because, you know, it covers right. all pathways. Well, no, because only right. retinaldehyde is the trigger for collagen, according to all the clinicals. And, and the other thing about retinol is it oxidizes in the skin. So if you apply retinol, let's say you're conscientious and you're like, I know it's sun sensitive. That's why I apply it at night. Well, the good news, bad news is, yes, you're not getting oxidation when you apply it, but the next day it's still in your skin. So all throughout that day, that retinol you applied the night before is getting oxidized, causing DNA damage, causing exfoliation of your barrier, which helps protect you from sun damage. Right. That's the other thing I'm I'm big in not exfoliating the skin because it's, yes. that causes more sun damage and dehydration. 
clinically proven to do so. Like I still can't believe people argue for exfoliation when it's clinically proven to increase your sun damage and your uh, dehydration. So um, that's why I don't like the other retinols is because they're just not purposeful for the role okay. of rejuvenation. And, the, and getting things through the epidermis is hard. Like if you wanted to increase your vitamin A, take it as a supplement. And, um, and that's going to increase your vitamin A in the ways you wanted to without harming your epidermis. But specifically to make your skin activate collagen, retinaldehyde was the most clinically, it's actually shown to be a thousand times more potent at converting to retinoic acid than regular retinol. And so it's, you know, I use a much smaller amount, like I use the prescription doses of 0 0.025, 0 0.05, 0 0.1. Uh, I actually now have a 0.15 formula, which is, I think, the most your skin can tolerate and not be a waste. So, um, and that product's called Renew, if, if for the listeners are listening. But so, yeah, so my belief is it's not just about, ret it's not just about retinaldehyde. It's about other proven ingredients like chlorella, which is research proven to increase collagen and elastin, but through a pathway we don't know yet, but I know it's not traumatizing or to, uh, hydroxyproline, which we make sense. Uh, like, so there's so many actives that we use, niacinamide, uh, beta-glucan is proven to activate collagen. So I'm using like eight to 10 different right. collagen stimulators at the same time, all liposome delivered, because that was my best way of holistically activating without harming the skin. Well, it's interesting you say that and interesting you mention Kligman because you sound like you're a bit of a corneotherapist, Dr. Ben. Yes, I am. Corneotherapy is the, is the you truth. You are. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm a big barrier preservation guy. And, um, and that's why it's so funny. Kligman promoted that and he put out Retin-A, which totally destroys the barrier. Um, but, uh, yeah, so you are, you're a corneotherapist yes. yourself. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yes. So I just, um, came out with some cleansers myself that are designed to oh. repair the barrier, but that is my chief philosophy. And, and you know, what it. we're saying as, as corneotherapists is that we need to preserve the skin and keep it intact before harming it, which just makes sense, right? Oh my gosh. Corneotherapy makes all the sense in the world. So, uh, you know, I design all my cleansers. I mean, I have one I call an exfoliating cleanser, but what it actually is, is it's enzymes that digest proteins. So it doesn't strip the lipid barrier. It just gets the loose skin. Um, it has, you know, it doesn't have that effect. But generally, I'm with you. I, I, want, uh, I want a cleanser that doesn't overstrip. I don't want to use alcohol toners. I don't want to use acids because acids damage the barrier. So how do you weigh that out? Like, are you an anti-acid person for that reason? Or how do you, how do you justify acids? Oh, that's so interesting. So my cleansers don't contain acids, but you know, I'm a believer they, they can have a place. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do on, think on we're a month, this... wait, on a monthly, on a monthly application or a daily application? Well, I know, I know we probably may not share belief in this sense. I, I do think they can be used weekly, um, which okay. again, I know you might not agree with, but what I'm seeing is just this overuse. And so in my yes. cleansers, I didn't want to include them because I figure 
most people are already drawn to so many acids and have have the, in their cleansers on top of their exfoliants that they're taught to use two to three times a week. Then they have their glycolic anti-aging serum. They have their retinoid. They want to use a mask. So yeah. it's just hard to even come by cleansers that don't contain them. And then it's like, what, what about the client who also goes and gets facials or goes and gets microneedling yeah. or lasers and they can't find a cleanser that um, doesn't contain an acid. So that was my thought there. I love it. And that is awesome. And you're absolutely right. Like there is an, there is an attack on the barrier. And the reason why is there's an instant gratification that comes uh, with using acids. You know, when you burn your skin with an acid, which, you know, that's what the acid's designed to do. And some people say, well, if you yeah. adjust the pH, then the acid doesn't burn the skin. Well, if you adjust the pH, you also don't get any results. <laughs> you don't get any visible results. Right. So, right. Um, you, know, you know, my take is, yes, you could get away with a, a weekly exfoliation. Um, it's, it's not the end of the world, but you will compromise your barrier that day, right? And it might take a day or two to get back to fully healthy. Um, you could do the monthly thing, which again... Uh, I, I think your skin can still thrive and get a once a month exfoliation. I just don't believe it's necessary. I don't think it is. I don't think there's some, I don't think, you know, we're born with 15 layers of stratum corneum and we die with 15 layers of stratum corneum like that. There's a, it's there in the design for a reason. And so I'm not a believer that we're, we need to force it to shed. You know, let's think of our children. You know, we look at our 10 year old, we don't go, ah, oh boy, they really need a good exfoliation. Why? Because the turnover rate is fine and uh, because their skin is well fed. So um, I, I love that you're in that mindset and uh, that's, that's where we need to go. I just don't see like, you know, glycolic acid. Um, there's no receptor for that. You know, it's only purpose is to go in and disrupt the protective barrier. So going in and throwing that on your face um, is only causing harm. Like there's no long-term gain from it. Um, even with microneedling, like I, I don't see a huge advantage. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. So, and my mentor is Jan Marini. So founder of glycolic acid. So oh, yeah. I'd love to see you guys go head to head. This would just be really interesting. Uh, um, I would love that. Oh man. There was this one time uh, at a, tr at a trade show where they put uh, four or five formulators up on a panel and they kind of put us head to head. And it was, I think, I think it was really healthy for the industry. Like, I think we should have these debates more often. Um, so I'd be ha happy to have the discussion, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I want to be your new mentor. Jen Marini is not a corneotherapist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're both on board. Absolutely. Okay. I'd be honored. <laughs> Well, uh, that'd be great. And yeah, I know like we, we've said a lot today. It's a lot for everyone to absorb, but I, I'm glad yeah. we can end on this common note, which is be, be kind to your skin as much as you can. Uh, you know, be, be thoughtful about how these ingredients are working on it. Um, and just remember, you know, like your, your, the skin thrives when it's not in a state of stress and trauma. So, uh, you know, obviously emotions play a role in that too. That's a conversation for the next podcast, but, um, yes. yeah, I think, uh, the, the holistic approach, the reason why it's trending is because you can still rejuvenate and be kind to your skin at the same time. That's, that's how I think I'll leave it. 
Absolutely. Great note to end on, Dr. Ben. Well, tell us where we can find you on social media and um, for your products. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. So I have a podcast called Ask Dr. Ben that you can find on your uh, main stuff. I haven't put one out lately, uh, but I am due for a 2022 uh, review of, of the aesthetics of 2022. So hopefully you'll see that soon. Um, I have, uh, I do an hour long and literally as I talk for, as you can see, I'm verbose. I talk for an hour every Thursday, typically on my Osmosis Beauty Instagram. Um, so I do an Insta live every Thursday for an hour in the middle of the day. And then I have uh, osmosisbeauty.com where you can read about our unique uh, approach to the skin and see all the before and afters. Um, maybe go take the skin quiz, which is a, a unique platform that helps analyze your skin based on where you're seeing problems uh, on the face, going back to the skin mapping conversation. So uh, lots of places to find us. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, if you, yeah, so hopefully on more of your uh, podcasts in the near future. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll put your information in the show notes. Thanks so much, oh, Dr. Thank ben. You. Would love to do this again soon. I know we need to dive yeah. deeper into hormones, maybe stress, yes. um, maybe yeah. acne a little bit more. So would love yeah. to do this again. But thank you so, so much. Okay. Hope everyone enjoyed listening. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Thanks, Tessa. Take care. 